Welcome to another episode of the University of Washington's Thrivecast, the podcast designed to help School of Medicine faculty thrive. I'm Trish Critic, and today I'm joined by Andy Lux. Andy is a professor in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine in the Department of Medicine, and recently did an outstanding workshop on how to create a teaching portfolio. So I'm thrilled to have him join us on Thrivecast to talk more about teaching portfolios. Thanks so much for joining today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, I think the first question I wanted to ask about is kind of what's the difference between a teaching portfolio and a CV? Because we all have to have a CV. So what's the role or the the, the function of of having a teaching portfolio? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think for people who are going up for promotion and looking down the list of things that they have to get together for their promotions packet, it's probably the biggest question that many of them have when they're starting out on the process, particularly when they're doing this for the first time going from assistant to associate professor. So I think the CV is largely a list. It's mm-hmm. the list of things that you've done both before your current position and during your current position. It's a list of your publications, your teaching responsibilities, committees that you serve on, honors and awards you might have received. Um, And essentially it's just a detailed list of what you've done. But the problem is, you know, if you are an educator, Uh the CV doesn't do a good job of reflecting kind of the full um, spectrum of what it is that you do as a teacher. Uh, the CV might be able to tell how much you teach because you can see how many lectures you've given, but it conveys nothing about um, the extent of your role in a course, for example, the quality of your teaching, how your teaching work has evolved over time. Um, essentially, the CV lacks all of that rich description of one's uh, teaching activities. And that's really where the teaching portfolio comes in. It's your opportunity as a faculty member to educate those people on your division, your departments, the School of Medicine's appointment and promotion committees about what it is you do as an educator in a much more richly detailed manner than you could ever get across in a CV. So it adds a lot to the the kind of list that you see in the CV and allows you to tell more of a story of who you are as an educator. Um, And it has different components to it. So would you mind just walking through kind of some of the standard components of it? Because I think it's helpful to hear that list. And then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question about it. Sure. The, the, the requirements will vary a little bit from department to department. And I think that's a very important thing for faculty to understand when they're getting ready to put their teaching portfolio together is it's very important to talk to their division or department administrator and find out exactly what the expectations are going to be for their department so that they can hit the right target. But in general, most portfolios are going to have a standard set of sections with them. They all generally begin with an executive summary where you provide essentially a summary of what people are going to find uh, in the various sections of the portfolio. Uh, There's a page of some basic information, contact information, address. Kind of like a CV. Exactly. Uh, A teaching philosophy statement, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about more uh, later on. We will. A section on direct teaching activities, where you describe the primary teaching roles that you have, both within as well as outside of 
the institution. Uh, there are often sections to describe mentoring activities, professional development that you have done as an educator, uh, education scholarship, uh, and as well as uh, sections about long-term goals uh, as an educator. Okay, so I can see how that starts to give you a more nuanced story of who you are as an educator. And I do want to kind of follow up on a couple of those sections. And as you suspected, I'm going to ask you about the teaching philosophy, because that's obviously not a part of the CV. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that is and how someone might go about writing their teaching philosophy. Yeah, I think the best way to describe the teaching philosophy statement, is it's kind of like the personal statement of the teaching portfolio. Uh, so just as we wrote personal statements for medical school applications, residency, and maybe fellowship applications, you're writing another personal statement uh, for the teaching portfolio. And unfortunately, if you didn't like writing it for those application cycles, you're not going to really enjoy writing it for the teaching portfolio. But essentially what you're trying to do in the teaching philosophy statement is explain to people why it is that you teach the way that you do. Is there any kind of philosophical underpinnings to your approach to learning? How do you interact with learners in the classroom or at the bedside? What are the kind of the main things that guide your work uh, as a teacher? There is no set format uh, for this. Um, it's really up to you to describe how you want to craft it and the story that you want to uh, tell. So I think it's a little bit easier than the writing of a personal statement for school or uh, training applications, because I think you have a little bit more flexibility and there's way less of a tendency to drop into those kind of very formulaic approaches of talking about some patient who changed your life and caused you to go into internal medicine, for example, is about 75% of personal statements often <laughs> go. Um, right, that's a little editorial sidebar by Dr. Lux in the midst of this podcast. But anyway, back to the teaching philosophy, yes. Yeah, so I think you really have the ability to kind of craft your statement uh, as you want it um, to be and tell the story that you want to tell about why it is that you teach the way that you teach. The only yeah, expectation, I think, is that it should be relatively short. This is not three, four, five pages. It's really the target is for most uh, divisions and departments is going to be about a single page. Yeah, a page is going to go through. When I wrote mine, it took me some time to kind of come up with it. I spent some time like out on a morning run or a morning walk, kind of thinking it through and eventually settled on talking about, I'd like to use humor as part of my teaching and doing it in a way that I think is engaging. And I can't even remember what else I talked about. Do you remember what you wrote about in your teaching philosophy? Yeah, I actually talked about having kind of these four key descriptors of the way I approached my teaching. And it was I don't remember the specifics, but it was something like enthusiasm and integration and a focus on what's clinically relevant. And so I had a little description for each of those terms, and then I had a picture that I put next to them. So for under enthusiasm, I had a picture of the Sherry O'Terry and uh, Will Ferrell, you know, characters from Saturday Night Live, where they were the over-enthusiastic uh, cheerleaders. Uh, and I had for bedside relevance, I had a picture of a hospital bed. And for uh, integration, I had a picture, I think, of like an integral formula from uh, calculus, just as a way to kind of convey visually what I was also describing in, in, uh, in written terms. 
Yeah. And no one has to do that, but I think it's, it's your opportunity to be a little bit creative too. And I think that's what you're reflecting is kind of your creativity and writing that teaching philosophy. Correct. And I think for a lot of people too, it's, it's, it's often hard to get started on it. And I think one thing that actually helps people is the act of putting the portfolio together because as people are assembling the portfolio, quite often that gives them a 30,000 foot view of the work they've been doing as an educator. And for many people, the teaching philosophy statement tends to come together quite nicely once they've done a lot of the work on the portfolio and have that big overview of what they've been doing over a period of time. That's a really nice tip to think about writing it kind of after you start putting the pieces together because it kind of bubbles up what you might want to emphasize. But, and it might help bring together the story of the portfolio if you write it after you see what you're sharing. Um, relevant to that, you said, you you know, you can talk, you need to talk to and most about your teaching responsibilities. And I think in listening to you talk about this before, that's a chance to be a lot more descriptive about what you actually do and give some, some metrics there. So do you want to talk through kind of your approach to to the teaching responsibilities section? Yeah, I, I think for most people, this is probably going to be the biggest section uh, within their uh, portfolio. Although there's a lot of flexibility in how you create the portfolio and depending on what an individual's role is, there may be other sections that get a lot of emphasis or even more emphasis than the direct uh, teaching activities section. But I think the best way to describe this would be to compare an entry in my portfolio, for example, um, for teaching activity and what that entry would look like in a CV versus what it would look like in the teaching portfolio itself. So for a good number of years now, I've served as a course director for one of the courses in the foundations phase of the medical school curriculum. And on a CV, under the teaching activity section, it would simply say MedSci 530A course director. One line. Whereas in a teaching portfolio, I might have nearly an entire page describing that teaching activity, where I would have MedSci 530A circulatory systems role, course director, and then describe what it is that I've done in my role as a course director to help both get the course going and improve the course uh, over time. And then you have an opportunity to describe how it is that you've been effective in your role or improved over time in your role. And this is where you bring in evaluation information. So after a rich description of the role as course director, I might then provide in tabular format um, a summary of the numerical course evaluations over the years that I've been a course director. And then have a second paragraph where I list uh, samples of some of the comments that have been provided by the students over the years. And these are comments that I've culled out myself from looking at the evaluations that I hope are representative of their impressions of the work uh, that I've done. That's really nice. So you're like showing the metrics and you're also kind of showing the qualitative part of it as well, which makes me want to ask two different questions. The first one is, um, that's a lot of information to keep track of. So do you have a strategy for people who, you know, maybe are listening to this as they're just starting out and they know eventually they're going to have to have a teaching portfolio, but they don't have to do it like tomorrow. Um, well, what do you recommend for keeping track of these evaluations so that they have those quotes and they have those metrics to keep, to put into their portfolio later? I think you hit on the key phrase, which is keep track of this stuff. And that would add <laughs> as you go along. So uh -huh. a common mistake is that people don't 
track and organize this information during their time on faculty. And then they're notified that they're going up for promotion and their promotions packet, including the teaching portfolio is due in six weeks. And then it's a mad scramble to go back and find evaluations and call out, you know, these written comments and what lecture did I give on what day, you know, maybe I'll go through my outlook calendar and find all of this stuff. And it's a real challenge. Um, and so what I often recommend to people is that when they start off on faculty or early on in their time in faculty is to find some way to keep track of teaching activities and then organize all of the feedback uh, that you get. So for example, when I joined on faculty, I created an Excel spreadsheet where I was able to keep track of all the lectures that I was doing in various uh, arenas. And so I had a worksheet for lectures to medical students, a worksheet in, within that file for lectures to residents, the worksheet for CME courses, and then worksheet for regional and national meetings. And I would finish a talk and I would at some point get that worksheet out and just put in the date, the topic, and the audience. And so it was a very easy way to be able to go back and figure out, okay, I did this number of lectures this year, this number of lectures that year, and that's information you can quickly convey to others about kind of like the volume that you're teaching. And then the other thing I did is I organized all of the feedback that I was getting. So most of the time when people give lectures within the institution or even outside the institution these days, you're getting a thank you letter. And quite often those thank you letters contain evaluation information. And so um, I had a binder uh, that I keep in my office. And uh, every time I got a letter, I would punch three holes in it and stick it in the binder. Uh, these days, everything tends to come in PDF format. So I have folders on my computer where I organize all of that uh, information. And there'd be bigger evaluations that would come for teaching as part of large school of medicine courses, for example. And I had ways to organize that information. So I had all the information in one or two places, and then I knew how to access it. And it was all ready to go when I had to put the portfolio together. Now's the time to make the Excel spreadsheet or however you want to get it organized. And now's the time to start saving those evaluations in a place where you can pull them out later. Um, what if someone doesn't actually collect evaluations, you know, for you already? Can you can you ask for them yourself? I, I think individuals can do this. And then also, I think there's a role that some divisions and departments can play uh, in this regard. So our division, uh, the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine, many years ago now started a great program uh, by which faculty can collect catalyst evaluations from uh, other faculty that may have been at any sessions that they've been leading, both like research presentations, but also uh, teaching. So essentially, if I get back to my office, I send a email to our division administrator and say, hey, I gave a talk to this audience on this date on this topic, and I saw the following faculty members there. And our administrator will send out an email to them with a catalyst link. They complete the survey, the information goes to the division and they organize it uh, for us. And then as an, in, as an individual faculty member, I can access that from my portfolio and then the division also has access to it to put in as part of the promotions packet. Um, Which happens in some divisions and departments, but doesn't happen in all divisions and departments. Right. So. And so I think I think it is very reasonable for faculty members to um, bring their own evaluations with them sometimes. If you are not sure that evaluations will be obtained by whoever's hosting the teaching session, 
it's okay for you to print out some evaluation forms, bring them, collect them on your own, and then organize the information afterwards. I think these days people are becoming savvy using QPR codes uh, that okay. they can provide to people that if they scan that QPR code, they're taken to a web page where they can fill out this type of survey information uh, as well. So I think it's worth checking in with your division and department to see if maybe they do something already and they can help you. But if not, it's okay to get your own evaluation so you gather that data that you'll be able to save and put into your portfolio eventually. That's super helpful. Um, the other follow-up question I had when I was listening is I think people worry like, what if I got bad evaluations? Like what if my evaluations aren't that great? I don't know what to do with those. And do I have to put them in the teaching portfolio? Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of ways I would think about this issue. The first thing is, the nice thing about the teaching portfolio is it's a pretty flexible document that allows you to craft the story that you want to craft about your work as an educator. So one option may be just the evaluations weren't great, just don't include them in the portfolio. But many people uh, may receive poor evaluations, but they take time to reflect on that teaching experience or they get feedback from others, and then they work to improve over time. And I actually think that's a valuable thing to be able to document in a teaching portfolio. If you can show in tabular format, for example, that your numerical course evaluations improved over a four or five year period, and there's a steady upward trend, I think that's actually a very nice thing to be able to convey to people who are reading your teaching portfolio. I think that's actually valuable information to say, hey, I'm able to improve. I'm able to think back on what I did correct my mistakes and move on. And that is a positive attribute of an educator. So maybe show them in the context of improvement and every last evaluation you have doesn't have to go into your teaching portfolio. I have one more question before I just kind of ask you if there's anything else you want to share, but I think some people like you have done a ton of teaching in a lot of different spaces. And so they have lots of stuff to put in their teaching portfolio. And I think some of our faculty have to make a teaching portfolio and they don't have stuff for all the different buckets that, that you might have. And so what do you do if you don't have stuff that fits into the buckets? Or maybe you have some stuff that's a little bit less traditional. Again, a key aspect of the teaching portfolio, it's a flexible document. So you're gonna provide a lot of emphasis in the areas where you do the most work and where you're strongest. And you're gonna de-emphasize other areas that aren't uh, as prominent in your work. So for example, if someone has less of a role in um, direct teaching uh, activities, but does a lot more QI type work and education in that space, then they might under the administrative responsibilities section of their portfolio, spend a lot more time talking about those activities and their direct teaching activities section might be uh, smaller. So again, I think, you're emphasizing this is a flexible way to tell your story and you should build in the areas where you have the strengths and you don't have to tell everything of every part right. and make it the most cohesive story you can for you. I think that's also true for a lot of people who a lot of their teaching fits into the category of mentoring mm -hmm. that you can really pull, pull out that mentoring is something you highlight in your teaching portfolio. Um, you've thought about this a lot and talked about it a bunch. Is Are there any like last pearls you want to share with folks? Because um, I might not have asked about it. I think the thing I would emphasize to people is it sounds really daunting at first. And it can certainly be a challenging thing to put together in a real crunch 
at the end, right before your promotions packet is due. So this is something I would spend time kind of tending, much like you tend the garden over a long period of time to get it where you want it to be. I think I would off, I would try to tend the portfolio materials over a long period of time. Again, keeping track of my teaching activities, organizing evaluations, maybe even as I go along, if a teaching activity comes to an end, maybe creating an entry that's gonna eventually go into the final teaching portfolio. So five years down the line, I'm not trying to remember exactly what I did, but I took care of that when I ran that course uh, for example, or did some other direct teaching activity, I've already done uh, the work. And I think if people approach this as a long-term project, rather than as something they're going to get done under a very tight deadline at the end, I think it can be a less burdensome thing than it often seems on the surface. Yeah, I like, I like that advice about kind of building it over time. I think that also that kind of teaching philosophy has some more time to percolate and maybe bubble up as you do that, which I will say I didn't do it that way and I wish I had. So I think it's really good advice, um, as is everything else you said today. So thank you so much for reflecting on all these different aspects of the teaching portfolio. I know it's something that lots of folks say, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing with this. And so I, I will just recommend there's a workshop that's recorded that on faculty.udubmedicine.org, as well as some sample teaching portfolios. So that's another resource in addition to this outstanding podcast with Dr. Lux. Um, so thank you so much for joining today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. For folks uh, out there listening, if you want to listen to more episodes of Thrivecast, you can find them at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find them on the UW School of Medicine faculty website at faculty.udubmedicine.org. As always, thanks for listening and have a great day. Mm -hmm.